Welcome to Documentary Diehards, the show where three sports fans break down one 30 for 30 documentary each and every episode. I'm Ren with Sam and Nick. Guys, how are we doing? Nick, what's up? Not too much. Doing well. Uh, looking forward to uh, our fancy football draft tonight. Uh, not that anybody else cares, but we do. And so I'm looking forward to that. Probably haven't put as much time as I should into it, but I'm always looking forward to good night. Oh, getting cocky here, the defending champ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so if I really win, I mean, geez. Imagine if I would have put time into this. Wait, so Sam, are you prepping hard then? Is it the inverse over here? I'm always prepping hard, and since I'm always in last place, this is the year that I'm going to make my run. And uh, I, I took the number seven overall pick, much to Ren's dismay, but gonna make it happen yeah by choice number seven i hope you have a strategy besides just like liking the number seven or something oh yeah i do but i'm not gonna i'm not convinced i've never heard of seven being anyone's lucky number besides yours sam so good luck (laughs) right it's christian ponder's old number how could it not be lucky well yeah um (laughs) here's the offering tonight that's a good reminder Ron. thank you you're welcome Let's jump right in. Uh, we got uh, one that I have a particular vested interest in. Not really vested. I just liked it. Um, anyway, the one, the documentary, the 30 for 30 documentary that we reviewed and watched uh, for this episode is called Hawaiian, the Legend of Eddie I. Cow, um, directed by Sam George, um, first aired in 2013, narrated, interestingly, by Josh Brolin. Um, that's the thing. Uh, What's his name? What's uh, the guy from Marvel? The bad guy. Anyway, that's him. Um, Thanos. Um, and so this, the, just to give a quick summary of this documentary, it is about the legendary big wave surfer, Eddie Aikau, um, from, you know, his heyday was, I guess, the 50s and the 60s. He was also a legendary um, lifeguard in, um, at Waimea Bay in Oahu. Um saved over 500 lives and um is kind of the number that they give out um was the first lifeguard there in a place where lifeguards don't before before that did not go just because of how dangerous it is there on the beach um that's just one part of kind of his legend um was a you know championship surfer on big on big waves particularly and just kind of a legend on the islands um in this documentary just kind of takes you from you know the early part of his life when his family came from uh, Maui to Oahu they lived in a cemetery and a unique um, kind of upbringing with his five siblings Um, and it kind of takes you into how they fell in love with um, surfing him and his younger brother specifically and they give a lot of context as far as um, Hawaiian culture um, the um, overthrow of the Hawaiian um royalty and uh, monarchy i guess i should say um the influence of the united states and when statehood became a a thing back in 59 um and just kind of the tourism culture and the change of the culture and um and everything that kind of happened with why it it's a big topic and they 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 did a pretty good job of trying to encapsulate that within um you know an 88 minute documentary surrounding one person um, Eddie Aikau. And so it kind of puts that into context, tries to show how surfing is so important to the culture, the Hawaiian culture. Um, and then it also talks about Eddie Aikau's other, um, you know, big plot points of his, his life, really. 
um, among them, you know, bringing together like the Australian um, surfing champions when there was a big uh, kind of bounty on their head as they were um, being kind of, uh, they're just causing trouble, I guess, to put it tamely. Um, and a lot of stuff was happening and he kind of brought peace to that kind of um, moment in time. And then um, when he passed away, it was the Hokulea um, um, trip. The, they were setting out on this um, journey to Tahiti and back um, on the uh, outrigger canoes. And he, they kind of shipwrecked and he went out to go seek help and ultimately was lost at sea. And uh, now there's a big wave surf competition that goes um, whenever it can not every year, just because they don't have big enough waves every year, but that's how I first heard about him was, you know, there's a, every year they have an open waiting period for this Eddie Aikau uh, surf comp. And he's, he is a legend at, uh, to this day in Hawaii. Um, so it was really cool to, to fill in kind of, for me, some of the spots were of his life and story that I didn't know about. Um, Sam, how did you like this documentary from, maybe not knowing uh, too much about him before you, you watched it. Ren, I was just going to say that you should tell the fans a little bit more about um, why you're so interested in Hawaii, I guess. Cause I think we've talked about it before, but like your background a little bit more. Yeah. So for um, from 26, what 2018 to 2020, I lived in Hawaii working as a sports reporter out there. Um, and I got to cover a whole bunch of um, surfing events, learn a lot about the Hawaiian culture and, really fell in love with that, the ocean, I learned to surf. And um, so I know a lot of, um, you know, the big sports names and just big uh, legendary names in Hawaii, whether it's, you know, Duke Kahanamoku or whatever. Uh, I know a little bit about them, at least um, some context. Um, hear people talk about them all the time. And among them is um, Eddie Aikau. And um, so I was really looking forward when we saw this, this on the list of 30 for 30s. So looking forward to watching this one because I hadn't seen it before. And um, you know, they've done news stories and stuff at where at my old job where uh, we had talked about this competition and him and, um, and, you know, done interviews with people um, getting ready for the competition. So that's kind of my background on it. Yeah, and the whole time that I was watching this, I was thinking about you and like how much interest you still have in surfing and everything um, and figured you were going to like this one. Um, for me, I thought that learning more about Hawaiian culture was really cool and learning more about his backstory, how he got into surfing, um, how he kind of became a, a surfing legend and how that came about. Um, and then I also just found like the, the random stories about, you know, his family and how they threw all these awesome parties that seemed like everybody in Hawaii was attending and, um, and like the, the lifeguarding part of it was really interesting too and how he had saved 500 people from this um, crazy waves and um, this very dangerous beach and never lost a single person, which is pretty incredible. So those are my main takeaways. What do you think, Rudy? Yeah, I thought this was a much different documentary than any other one that we saw or that, that we've seen in the other. Um, did you say 52, Sam? Oh, yeah, this is the 52nd. We haven't actually watched 52. We're probably at like 48. Okay. So, um, so regardless, I mean, this is, I felt like much different than the others. Um, I felt like this was the most like of a just straight documentary. 
Um, not to say that surfing isn't a sport or anything, but I feel like it just uh, looked at Hawaiian culture as a whole. It looked at his life as a whole um, in, in a lot of just what what his life meant and what he wanted it to mean uh, more than just, you know, like last week, just the NFL draft um, of one year um, and the first round specifically. So I feel like it had a lot more significance, like on a cultural perspective. Um, I really enjoyed learning more about the Hawaiian culture. Uh, it made me want to go back to Hawaii uh, just because uh, everything looked beautiful there. And then also knowing more about the culture and uh, just wanting to check things out. But um, but I thought it was a, a very unique look at things. Yeah, um, that brings up a good point, because I've seen a couple, you know, surf documentaries and things, um, other Hawaiian documentaries. And um, you always entering watching one of those, you wonder um, how much context they're going to give, how narrow and they're going to focus. Um, and so especially with this one, I wondered, you know, and I was a little surprised at how much they did go into setting the stage as far as the statehood process. And, you know, they spent a lot of time on that um, without, you know, going back to it, specifically Eddie Aikau's story um, and setting the stage and showing how surfing was important and is important and things like that. Um, and so that was really interesting and important because this, you know, 30 for 30 is a big stage uh, you know, they have a much better avenue than a lot of sports documentaries to being seen by a lot of people just because of, you know, the production and they're on ESPN. Um, so I really like that. If you want, just to talk about kind of the production of it overall in general, um, there was, I, I enjoyed it um, a lot. I thought it was well paced, well done. It was, I mean, maybe a little bit long, um, but they did try to jam a lot in and it was a very, full story. I don't think it dragged, um, it hardly at all. Um, there was some recreation scenes as something, that's something that I bring up a lot where they have maybe actors or whatever, um, you know, um, recreating scenes of, you know, someone who's passed or, you know, video that I don't have the opener, just the opening scene of this documentary was, you know, him uh, on a surfboard, um, uh, just paddling in the ocean in the open ocean and it was really beautiful. It was obviously a recreation. They shot this. Um, it was, it was an actor, you know, paddling out. Um, and they used it in the middle to, or really near the end, the same video. And I really liked it. When, when the opener was happening, that scene, I was like, I know this is a recreation, you know, B-roll is being created or whatever, but I thought it was really well done, powerful. And they had some good sound bites over to really, you know, explain what we're about to watch for the next, you know, hour plus. Um, and yeah, overall, you know, they had interviews with all the, um, siblings and a lot of people, um, that lended a lot of good insight. Uh, I was wondering what you guys thought about kind of the production of it, um, as far as gathering, they gathered a whole bunch of, you know, local news, um, video from competitions. And I thought that was really important to see the surfing video from back then. Yeah, I thought that the um, the videos that they put together from all the local surfing competitions were was pretty interesting. Um, not that I know anything about surfing, but it was nice to see, you know, kind of the grainy, you know, like real uh, videos from that. Um, I thought that the production of it could have been done a little better from the standpoint of the pacing. Like I thought it was a little slow at times from transition to transition um, where it was like, you know, maybe what felt like 15 or 20 seconds of just kind of like music and in waves and uh, you know, from going from one point to the other. Now that could be just uh, they're trying to put the Hawaiian culture 
and set the scene. Um, but I just felt like that was a little long for me at times, but. I was just going to say that too. I wonder if that was a point that the director tried to make like the relaxation of Hawaiian culture kind of a thing. Yeah. I'm, I, I don't know. It, it very well could have been slower pace and things like that. I, one other note just about the production, I didn't necessarily like the Josh Brolin um, narration and, you know, I'm like a movie star that uh, didn't necessarily, I didn't really see the reason for him to do it. Um, or if it didn't even really need, he wasn't used a whole bunch um, early in the documentary, they talked just to switch gears. They talked about um, Clyde was his youngest brother. It was him and Eddie that really surfed and both were high achieving surfers. Um, he was interviewed a lot. Clyde was. Um, and he t- was talking about just, you know, early days growing up. They were in South Shore a lot, Waikiki. And he was talking about how they weren't really wanted in Waikiki with all these um, tourists and, and hotels and, um, you know, other people there that didn't like these, you know, native Hawaiians just roaming around surfing and swimming um, as, you know, seems pretty natural for them to be there. Um, What did you guys think of just kind of that part of the documentary, Sam? Like, how did you um, react to just kind of, you know, back then uh, these, a lot of native Hawaiians and still today uh, a lot, um, you know, they, they couldn't necessarily afford as, as, nice homes as they used to have because of just a whole bunch of different business things and um, just changes that happened in Hawaii during especially that era. Yeah, it makes me really sad um, to think that um, like tourism and stuff is driving a lot of people out of their homes. And I know that that's still a huge issue today. Like you said, Um, my brother currently lives in Hawaii and um, he talks about how tourism is just absolutely insane. Like if you come during the the busy parts of the year, it's, it's not even almost fun to go to the beaches because they're just so aligned with tourists. And um, I can't even imagine how frustrating that must have been, like when that was initially happening. I, I mean, I'm sure it was good in some ways, uh, maybe for like local businesses and stuff. But at the same time, um, there are a lot of negatives to that as well. So like when you were in Hawaii, is that something that you took notice of, I guess, is how like the tourism and um, how big of a role that played in the lives of local Hawaiians. Yeah, nowadays tourism is by far the biggest um, driver of the economy. And so it's just a part of the every, everyday life. And it's not really necessarily a problem nowadays, um, specifically the tourism, not that there doesn't cause a lot of problems. And I'm not necessarily, I'm definitely not an expert on any of this, but um, the more of the problem is just like um, just housing and things like that. Um, space for people that you know families that have been there forever um just being priced out of their homes and things like that that started kind of in that time it was if it was the 40s the 50s the 60s where you know a lot of businessmen would come and buy property at exorbitant rates and um you know they'd make offers that you know people couldn't refuse um for property and thereby every property, you know, it was just, you know, property prices were going way up and things like that. And nowadays still, still not, not a problem because people still move out there. Um, and the cost of living just keeps rising and rising and rising and rising and rising. Um, and so, I mean, we don't need to get into the whole thing, but yeah, it's, uh, something that's sort of not sustainable in, in some ways. Um, did it overall make, I guess I'll ask both you guys here, Nick, you visited Sam, you, I don't know if you have or not, but did it make you view just kind of the Hawaii differently? And I know this is a surf documentary, but it talked a lot about just Hawaii in general. Nick, what were your thoughts on just kind of 
your um, how it made you view the state of Hawaii or country of Hawaii? Yeah, I think that it uh, made me um, have more respect for the culture. Um, y- you know, they mentioned this in the documentary. You know, we're not people that just you know, do the hula dancing and play with fire and that's it. Uh, you know, we're more than that. And I feel like that's, um, you know, kind of the touristy type uh, of thought where it's like, oh, like this is, you know, cute that they still do all of their cultural stuff. And I feel like learning more of that context behind everything um, was was a lot more um, interesting and, and made my understanding more well-rounded as well. Um, which was nice just from a short documentary like this. Uh, it also made me think a lot to um, the last time I was in Hawaii, which was the last, uh, I guess, trip that um, before COVID because it happened right at the beginning of COVID. And, and uh, just a very vivid example or uh, uh, image in my head was, uh, you know, when we were there, it was one of those trips that I think a lot of people had over um, that spring break, at least where it was, you know, should we come home sooner? Should we um, just go, um, or should we not go at all? Um, and so, so I think if our trip was any longer than what it had been, uh, that we would have left and, uh, left early that is, but in the last couple of days that we were there, um, you know, there was locals that were protesting tourism, um, and saying, go home. And basically like, why is your vacation more important than, um, our livelihood? And, you know, at first, you know, when you're on your own, a vacation you're kind of put off and you're like well why like should I have to give up my you know tourism um but I think that you know just what um they covered in this documentary at the beginning with the historical factor of everything it made me really think about that more um and, and not that I fully understand obviously what they felt um with you know their whole island being taken away but um but just to to make me think of that I guess um you know, was helpful. And, and uh, I could understand how there would be that anger, that resentment um, within a situation like that. Yeah. And it's always, a, and especially just nowadays, if, you know, it, like I said, tourism is the biggest business, the main um, economy driver. And so, yeah, it's like, it's a tough kind of catch 22, lose, lose, win, win. And for both parties, uh, Sam, what do you think? Yeah, I was just gonna say basically the same thing that it made me really think about the culture of Hawaii. Um, I guess selfishly, I've never really thought about it before. I've just thought, oh, beautiful beaches. I can't wait to go. Maybe try to surf someday. And um, I see pictures that you post and stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, or that Rudy's taken on um, on their trip. And I think, oh my gosh, it's the most beautiful place in the world. Uh, I can't wait to go. But I have never really thought about the culture or the people that were there before um, tourism was, you know, so popular and um and so, yeah, I guess it's just made me want to learn more about it. Yeah. Um, I think about it all the time and that like, if I had gone somewhere else, I mean, I uh, to live, um, I wouldn't think about it as much now that I'm not, uh, now that I'm back just because, um, you know, it's, it's, it is basically like another country as far as the culture that you can immerse yourself in if you choose to. Um, and if you went and lived in San Diego, um, you might have, you know, almost the same, not the, like very near some of the same things as far as beautiful beaches and stuff, but it's uh, less um, enriching, I, w- I would imagine. Um, let's move on just back to this documentary specifically. Um, one of the craziest stories was uh, when some of the 
couple of the pro Australian surfers were winning a lot. They were up in the North shore winning comps and um, kind of flexing and um, not being very respectful. Ultimately gotten, got beat up once um, one of the big surfers up there by a whole bunch of native Hawaiians that were done dealing with that. Um, uh, some of them just, you know, a few, I suppose people uh, were involved with that. Ultimately there was like a bounty on their head is what it said in the documentary, which I uh, had never heard of. I hadn't heard this story at all actually. And um, Eddie Aikau was like the peacemaker. He knocked on their condo that they had locked themselves in uh, two or three of the Australian surfers and brought them out to like a makeshift trial with a whole bunch of the locals and uh, basically ultimately explained, you know, where both sides were coming from and, and kind of just squashed the bug there. And um, that was like a wild story to me, Sam, what was your reaction to that? I couldn't even imagine that scene um, when that happened. Yeah, I was I was very like confused by it because all of a sudden they're talking about a bounty on the on their heads, and I was like, "Wow, this is very intense." And um, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of made me realize that you know Eddie Aikau is just seems like an awesome guy who is willing to listen to their side of the story and not just um, you know attack them or what, whatever he could have done. Um, but yeah, it was like an unexpected twist, I guess, in the documentary for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was like some audio clip that they had gotten and where it was like some people were like, these guys are, you know, I don't know exactly what they said, but and I was like, hey, I don't want to fight them and um, ultimately let them back into some of these competitions that they weren't being allowed to, to surf in. And But both sides on that kind of had a point because um, there is a, still stuff like that that goes on. Not, not, I'm just talking about just kind of disrespecting the the land that you're on and stuff like that. Um, near the end, ultimately how Aikau um, passed was the Hokulea, um, the outrigger canoe trip that was destined for Tahiti. They got flipped, um, you know, 10 hours in or something. Um, it, you know, it reminded me of like a lot of these, these movies you see, whether it was Titanic or what, the life of Pi, you know, they're just stranded out there in the ocean and, this wasn't necessarily that far from the, from land. Um, but it, it, I mean, what, what did you guys think about the decision for him to go out on his surfboard to try to get help? And I, when I was watching this, I was like, I know what's going to happen, right? You know, he's, I knew he was going to be lost at sea and stuff, but all the rest of the, there was like two other people being interviewed for this documentary that were there to tell the tale. So I was like, ultimately they got found and that's what, you know, t turned out to happen. They, the Coast Guard found him and, um, so it's kind of just a devastating decision for, for him to decide to go and search for help and ultimately, you know, be lost. Um, just the reaction to that, Nick. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're screaming to yourself, like, you know, Eddie don't go, <laughs> you know, throughout the whole thing, but, uh, it showed just the kind of guy that he was, uh, he, it was that lifeguard mentality of, you know, my job is to save the people and he didn't care about himself. And he was just going to, he saw the task at hand. He thought, you know, a couple, or I guess like three or four hours of uh, paddling is what he said. And, and he saw that task in front of him and he was going to do that to try to save everyone. And um, I mean, he was willing to risk his life out on Waimea Bay and uh, he was able to do it, or he was willing to do it there. And uh, unfortunately uh, wasn't able to make the trip. Was that your goosebump moment, uh, either of you? 
Yeah, I mean, how can it not be, uh, you know, uh, with with that whole scene and, and the fact that he wanted to go right away and it was still, uh, you know, nighttime, um, you know, he wanted to go and, and paddle back and the captain said no and let's wait till the morning and um, and then he left and so, yeah. What about you, Ren? Did you have one? Uh, I guess going back to when uh, Jerry, his older brother, died, um, he, it, um, they had kind of gotten in a fight before, and it just kind of hadn't ended on good terms. And so um, um, Eddie was really distraught after he passed away, depressed for a while. And, you know, like when they were describing the scene of how he used to just climb the fence to the cemetery like in the middle of the night and just sleep on his brother's grave like that was really um that's probably my goosebump moment that was that was really sad i have the same exact one specifically him climbing into the cemetery and sleeping on a grave like that is very emotional for sure yeah um just overall impression uh guys if if you could just sum up what how um and then maybe lead into i guess your rating of this but just um, is it what you thought it was going to be, or did you think it was going to be more of a, you know, just a surf edit? <laughs> I definitely thought it was going to be more of a surf edit. Um, and I was explaining to you two before we started this, I, this is like the choppiest that I've watched a documentary. I usually try to sit down and watch it in its entirety. Um, and I think if it would have been a surf one, it would have been easier for me to do that. But I felt like I was, um, kind of jumping around in between, like, uh, these historic moments and learning about the culture and then learning about Eddie and, um, and then, you know, his adventure out to sea, the tragic adventure out to sea. Um, and so it was, it was like a big roller coaster ride for me. So not exactly what I was expecting it to be. Um, and I think because of that, I have it as a low rating. Um, I would like to sit down and watch it, um, you know, more just in one sitting now that I, um, I've learned a little bit more and kind of know what to expect. I would like to pay a little bit more attention to the production of it and stuff like that too. Um, but I, I have it as a low rating with the idea that I possibly will change it at some point. Um, I gave it 4.7 uh, graveyard houses because they lived in a, a cemetery when they first moved to Hawaii. What about you, Rudy? Yeah, that's always tough when uh, schedule allows for only choppy uh, episodes. I feel like the, Rating usually tanks at least a couple of points uh, from that, from personal experience too. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I voiced a little, uh, I, I guess, uh, things that I didn't care for as much, just like how slow it was, um, but I love the Hawaiian culture of it. Um, so kind of right in the middle for me, uh, I'm going to go 5.9 uh, truckloads because uh, I believe it was one of the brothers at the beginning. He said that the, with the tourism wave, that the planes were coming in with truckloads of people. And I thought that was funny because it should have been plane loads of people, I guess. But anyway. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to give it 8.55 red surfboards because that was his signature board color. Um, and you could always spot him out on the big waves. Um, I really liked it. It kind of, you know, checked pretty much all the boxes I was hoping for. Um, I've seen several, several, um, you know, surf documentaries or whatever it may be. This was, a, as you mentioned, Nick, kind of a traditional documentary is focused on one person, um, and kind of laid out their life from beginning to end. Um, and, the, and then all the impact around it. Um, and I, I thought it was successful in pretty much every part. Um, 
so yeah, I thought I learned a lot and I didn't know necessarily how much I would learn. I thought I learned more than I did just because I already knew some, some about it. Um, so that's why I'll give it that score. So let's move over to our weekly Mount Rushmore uh, segment. And this week we're going to do, we're going to focus on the sound um, sounds that we dislike, sounds we hate, um, the senses series that we've been focusing on this time negatively. So some sounds that we do not like top four, Sam, I think you start us off then Nick, then me. So Sam, what's number one overall. All right. I'm cringing. Just thinking of the sound already. Uh, how about the drill at the dentist? Just a little. Mm, sound. I hate it so much. I don't really like the dentist, but then that the drill just happens and I can't get over it. It's the worst. I never, that didn't even cross my mind when I was thinking of these. Interesting. That's a good pick. All right. Uh, I'm going to go with the like high pitch sound over like zoom or like any like technology uh, where like things are kind of like, you know, there's some interface that's not uh, you know working together and just that high pitch sound and kind of like a ringing sound. Yeah. That's the worst. The hiss or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I uh, will go next with with vomiting. Uh, the sound of uh, of vomiting is not good, and it makes me have to vomit. <laughs> and, have you ever vomited because you've heard somebody else vomit? I don't think I have, but I've been close, and <laughs> it makes me me like nauseous to hear that. Like I like have to leave the room, if even if it's like on TV. So that's pretty <laughs> nasty. Um, and then next, I'm gonna go with uh, styrofoam. Uh, so if it's like a styrofoam packaging, like in a, in a mail, mailed package, or maybe the packing peanuts specifically, actually. So yeah, packing stuff mostly, especially when you have to like tear it or, you know, take it apart or something. And it just like makes that, it makes me cringe. That one doesn't, that one doesn't get me. I'm good at that one. Uh, I'm going to go with snoring or heavy breathing. So like heavy breathing at night. So if someone is around me, I'm trying to sleep. And then I have snoring or like even just like heavy, like, you know, like deep sighing, breathing. That's so annoying. Especially with it being at night where you just want to be sleeping. Are either of you snorers? I don't think I am, no. I'm, I'm definitely a snorer. Are you? Yeah. Sometimes Hannah will be like, elbow me and be like turn over (laughs) (laughs) does she make you wear a mask (laughs) oh yeah i I would definitely be i probably would be a cpap machine all right so i worked at a little kids camp k through six this uh summer and i would just say like unnecessary yelling or screaming or screeching from kids is that's like one of the things yeah no it's unreal it's like you really get to like i like kids but then when that happens like my blood just boils and like i feel like a lot of the other leaders in the in the camp felt the same way everyone's just like "Ah! (laughs) why are you yelling right now (laughs) so it's screeching i would say um and then how about just like endless car alarms? Oh, good. Like every one. once in a while, you just wherever you are, so 
just in the distance, you just hear like, where, and you're like, who's, you, you go through like two phases. You're like, first phase, is that my car? Yeah. And then the second phase is like, whose car is this? And is it ever going to shut off? What if it doesn't shut off? What if this is the rest of my life? <laughs> and then if, if it doesn't shut off and then I listen to it for two straight hours, will I just hear this forever in my head? <laughs> <laughs> You'll just get so used to it. I'm going to go with same theme, uh, but kind of broad category, I guess, when it's like traffic in general, but like specifically like with big trucks and then either like decelerating or um, accelerating really like really loud. That just annoys the heck out of me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The air brakes from like a like a like a Mack truck or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's the worst. Or when something like when they teenager like revs their engine in a big truck or something yeah yeah <laughs> and you just have to yell like oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right ryan you got two in a row okay my last two i gotta go a mosquito in your ear that oh, sound yeah. is so like that's a great pick like triggering <laughs> you know it just it's it makes you instantly angry and like scared that you're gonna get bit and stuff um yeah Ugh, hate that. Uh, and then my last one is, you know that tone? It's like a musical tone. I don't know exactly. It's like two notes, but it comes on on Spotify when the ad is about to start. Like you're listening to music and it makes like that sound. <laughs> and then you're like, because I don't have premium. <laughs> and it just, and then in that like starts a couple ads in a row and you're like, oh crap. So it's just like the connotation that comes along with it. And it's trained me to hate that sound. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. I'm going to go with um, people like cracking their neck. Like, right. Oh. Yeah. In front of you, like Aaron always does it. <laughs> and it's just like, it's like, a... <laughs> this is just a, a, the roast of Aaron. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> she does all of these things. I hate <laughs> Funny because she's not here listening, so I can say anything. But no, um, but yeah, yeah, just someone else. Like knuckles and stuff, it doesn't really bother me. But just I think it's anything with the spine. Mm -hmm. So you don't you don't watch those YouTube videos where people go and they crack like everything. Yeah, that no. kind of <laughs> you watch those a lot, Ren? No, I that I don't like that. It's gross. <laughs> Definitely not. All right, I'm going to end this off here. And this is the steal of the draft. I don't know how it lasted to the last pick. The alarm clock. <laughs> the original. The OG. How every morning when my alarm clock goes off, I'm really pissed about it. <laughs> I love to sleep. But I'm like, I don't want to be up right now. I, unless it's like something I'm looking forward to. But most of the time, it's just like, I got to go run. I got to go work or whatever it is. But I'm. I feel like everyone feels that way, especially if you have like an early morning. Mm -hmm. Have I? Or it's still this? dark outside. Yeah. yeah have I said this on the podcast before that one of my many alarms is just randomly Sean Kingston's fire burning? Oh, <laughs> so it starts with somebody call 911. <laughs> I'm like, no, snooze. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's, I said that when I was in high school on my phone. And it's just one of my like 11 alarms that I sometimes set randomly. That's, and it's just carried on from phone to phone to phone or what? Yeah. It's just like whenever I get a new like iPhone, it just 
transfers it or whatever. That's so funny. <laughs> so, oh. That's hilarious. All right. So my Rushmore of sounds that we hate. <clears throat> um, I, I went with a dentist drill, kids screaming, endless car alarms, and the alarm clock. Rudy went with high-pitched ringing over technology, uh, snoring or heavy breathing, traffic, um, mostly like loud trucks, and then cracking of the neck. Ren went with the act of vomiting, styrofoam, mosquito in the ear, and Spotify pre-ad notes or music. Kind of triggered just from hearing all that stuff. <laughs> no one said this podcast, so that's so we're on the right track, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> All right. Well, we should finish this up soon. But first, our final um, segment, which is our documentary wish list, uh, a doc- sports documentary that we want made in the future. Sam, do you have a, an idea for us? I do have an idea. Um, so with football season about to get underway, I was just starting to think about like which players would be interesting um, to have a documentary about their career. And like this person, Brett Favre, and who knows, maybe this already exists out there, but he specifically like the last five years of his career, I think would be really fascinating um, to, and there's plenty of footage out there, plenty of people to, to interview, but to go from, you know, retiring and then unretiring um, and then retiring and unretiring and then having all the drama with Aaron Rodgers, going and playing for the Jets for a year just to get out like, the ability to go play for the Vikings basically. And then everything that happened with the Vikings and, um, and then you could go all the way to like his hall of fame induction into um, Canton and then also um, the Packers hall of fame and stuff. And um, just like that awkwardness that is between, you know, Packers fans who love him, but also don't like how it ended. I think that would be an interesting documentary. Yeah. That's a great idea. Um, a whole bunch there with which to work um no kidding yeah like so many different eras like you know his early Packers days the Super Bowl era and then after that and there's the um the Monday Night Football game right after his dad died where he went off that's like a career highlight totally I mean you could probably do like a documentary series just on his own career but like just like the last five years would be like an hour hour and a half probably of a good documentary totally yeah definitely um okay good idea um should we round us out with our our final or our next week's documentary um sam do you have that or i'm gonna look it up as well i do have it pulled up okay go ahead um we are on episode 53 it's called free spirits uh the story of the colorful figures who made up the American Basketball Association's Spirits of St. Louis and how Spirits owner Ozzy and Daniel Silna win their team about to be left out with their team about to be left out of the ABA's merger with the NBA managed to negotiate a deal that allowed the brothers' involvement in pro basketball to continue in a most unusual fashion. Never heard of it before, so that's exciting. Um, cool. Moving back to basketball, we haven't had a basketball one in a in a minute. Oh no, a couple a couple weeks ago. But um, okay, cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. This was fun. Um, happy NFL season. Yeah, see ya.